secrets. Just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming to the Lord. <clears throat> I want to um, talk this morning on something I've never spoken on before. And it isn't the most comfortable of messages. <laughs> but I feel I tried to get away from it. I tried to give a more comfortable message. Um, but I believe the Lord wants it said. And the question I want to ask is a rather odd question. It's this question, who is your enemy? Who is your enemy? Now, I like, I don't like war, but I like um, war films. And I'm glad I've met Chris because he likes Spitfires. Praise the Lord for that. Um, But there's a film called (coughs) The Bridget Remagen. And in the film, at the end, there is a um, German officer who is going to be executed by his own side for not doing very well in a battle. And the SS, the Nazis, are going to shoot him. And as he's standing there, before his execution, he looks up at the sky and sees some planes in the sky, and he says, are they enemy planes or are they our planes? You know, whose planes are they? And the SS man says, they are enemy planes. And then this guy says, I wonder who the real enemy is. Meaning the SS. Now hopefully you'll understand why I'm saying that in a moment. Because I want to talk about who your enemy is. And you might say, well, it's the devil, isn't it? Well, yes, the devil is our enemy. But you know, the devil can't kill you. Not unless God allows him. The devil cannot kill you. He can wound you. He can tempt you. But he can't kill you unless God lets him do it. In one sense, when you are in Christ, the devil is like a lion with no teeth. He roars at you, but he can't, he can wound you, but he can't actually kill you. So he's not your enemy, really. What else is not your enemy? Let's talk about what is not your enemy. Well, your background is not your enemy. You know, some people say, I've had such a terrible upbringing, my, you know, I've been abused, I've been, didn't go to church, I... I've lived in the gutter, you know, it's really against me. And yes, your background may have a bearing, but listen, the grace of which Terry was speaking covers and deals with all your background, ultimately, in Christ. Um, Don't turn to it, but in the book of Titus, (coughs) we read about the people who lived on the island of Crete. And it says something very, very negative about the people on the island of Crete. (laughs) I mean, I hope no one is from Crete here this morning. It says, the people of Crete are always liars, wicked beasts, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. I mean, what a description. I wonder what the people of Orpington are like. (laughs) And then it says, in the Bible, it says this, and it says, This testimony is true. So the Bible says it's true, that the people of Crete were pretty messed up in character. But here we go. That's their background. Now listen to this. Elsewhere in the chapter it says this. Paul writes to Titus and he says, Titus, I left you in Crete so that you could appoint church elders in every single town. And what what that means is that God had planted churches throughout Crete and there were elders to go in every church. And they had to have good character. And what it is simply saying is that God had absolutely transformed these people. In every town, churches everywhere. In the place called Crete, where they were called 
Lazy gluttons, liars, wicked beasts. I mean, your background doesn't matter. That's not your enemy. Jesus will change you. So if you say, I've got a bad upbringing, you know, all this God stuff, God can wash it and deal with you. If you just keep coming to the Lord, keep coming to the Lord, he can transform you. And I've said this before, but there was a man in the Bible called Jephthah, and he was called a mighty, mighty warrior of God. And it says he was the son of a prostitute. I mean, what a background he had. So that's not your enemy. Another thing that's not your enemy is actually your sin. Now, you might say, hang on a minute. What I mean by that is, if you're honest about your sin, that's the key. If you're honest about your sin, Jesus can take it away. Okay? It's only when you're not honest, it becomes a problem. So, on its own, sin, if you're honest about it, as honest as you can be before God, is not your enemy. And I find two encouragements from the story of Noah's flood, which you might think, how can that be encouraging? Because a lot of people drowned. But it does say in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, I'll get on to my main point in a minute, (laughs) but it does say this. It says, on the earth, before the flood, angels or sons of God or People, they probably think they were demons, actually, seemed to interfere with human beings. And it says that in those days on the earth, there were strange people, giants, giants in the earth. Now, what probably happened was there were men who were demon-possessed, who slept with women and gave birth to these giants or people with special abilities. And... It's a picture to me of the devil's hold in people's lives. You see, these demons had mixed up with people, and on the earth there were these strange, perverted beings. It's a picture of the devil interfering with lives. But what happens? It all gets completely drowned out. The flood is a picture of how God can drown out the devil's hold in a man and woman's life. It also says before the flood that these people were absolutely obsessed with only thinking evil all the time. It says they thought evil all day continually. That to me is a picture of sin, how you can get addicted to sin. You know, I don't know if you, I know when I've gotten into sin in the past, it's very addictive, obsessive. You obsess if you open yourself up to things. And it's addictive. And that picture in Genesis where it says they only thought evil all the day long is a picture of the addictive power of sin. And then what happens? It all gets drowned out. I'm just trying to encourage you that the picture of the flood is a picture of what God can do when he washes you clean. When he pours in the Holy Spirit. He can wash out what the devil's done. He can wash out your addictions. And he can make you a new person. So sin is not your enemy. Not if you're honest about it. What else? Is, what, what, what is your enemy then? Is it failure? No, again, if you're honest with God, failure is not your enemy. You say, I failed. Well, Peter failed. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Peter, not this Peter, <laughs> he became the leader of the church, or a leader in the church. So what is your enemy then? And this is the kind of uncomfortable message I have to bring to you is 
Your enemy can be yourself. You know, Joel came, Joel's not here, I wish he was, but he's in, out there, is he? he was, oh, there he is. <laughs> he was in house group, and he said something, it, was very, it sort of struck me, he said, you know, really, your own worst enemy is you. You're your own worst enemy. And we're going to see that in the life of King Saul. That's who I'm going to talk about today, King Saul. You see, King Saul, I'm not going to read the whole, <coughs> all the Bible about him, but one particular part. He started off really well. King Saul, he had the grace of God on him. He had potential. He was humble. It says he was um, little in his own eyes. He had everything going for him. But then gradually, and this is the key word, gradually he moved away from the Lord. Gradually moved away from God. And who killed him in the end? Was it the Philistines? Well, the Philistines didn't. The Philistines wounded him. If you want to read about how Saul died, it's at the end of uh, 1 Samuel 31. Just turn to, don't need to turn to it. But 1 Samuel 31, it says he had a battle with the Philistines. And it says in verse 3, the fighting was heavy around King Saul, and he himself was hit by enemy arrows and badly wounded. But his enemies didn't kill him. They wounded him. He said to the young man carrying his weapons, draw your sword and kill me, so that these godless Philistines won't gloat over me and kill me. But the young man was too scared to do it. So Saul took his own sword and threw himself upon it. Now that's a bit depressing, but the truth is Saul got rid of himself. And the warning I feel to give is like a, it's like a warning shot across the bows this morning, is... If you're honest with God and you keep coming to the Lord, you've got nothing to worry about. But it's when you start to behave like King Saul that the problems can begin, when you become your own worst enemy. And I want to look at just four fatal flaws in King Saul's life. Just four. Four kind of warnings. <clears throat> and, this is, and they all begin with the letters in his name, because I thought I'd try and make it simple. You know, S-A-U-L. Saul, so that way you can hopefully remember at least one point by Tuesday. <clears throat> S. I want to read the passage in a moment. <coughs> he stopped seeking God. He stopped seeking God. Um, as Saul grew older, and this is something we have to be careful of, he depended less and less on the Lord. He grew less interested in the things of God. Um, it's very easy, particularly, I mean, I'm getting on now, getting on nearly as old as John. But as you get older, you can think, oh, I'm familiar with this Christian stuff. I'm a bit blasé, get a bit... And you lose that hunger and that seeking. I mean, we never read that King Saul had any real interest in a real relationship with God. Not like David. Now, David wrote Psalms. And David, although he sinned almost worse than King Saul sometimes, he always wanted that relationship with God. He always was seeking God, even when he really messed up. So what did Saul lose? He lost, he stopped, S, seeking his God. And you never read of King Saul wanting to get the Ark of the Covenant back. You know, the Ark of the Covenant was a box 
which represented the presence of God in Israel. And it got taken by the Philistines and it ended up in some place called Kirjith Jiram, which wasn't where it was meant to be. And when Saul was king, all the time Saul was king, he never went after that box. He never went after the ark, which is a symbol of God's presence in his life. He wasn't that bothered. Whereas David, as soon as King David came to power, the fun of the first things David did, he went and got the ark. David kept his relationship with God. So what happened to King Saul? I believe a wedge came in between him and God. And I think that's what the Lord was telling me to just warn us of, not to frighten you, but that we, sometimes you can allow things to come in between you and the Lord. And it looks quite normal and okay because it's a thin end of the wedge and that doesn't look too bad, but the problem is it gets bigger and bigger. The wedge always looks okay at the start, but it gets wider and bigger. And he seemed to lose this relationship with God. And there's only one thing we have to, River Church has to do in one, is to keep that relationship. Keep going to the Lord, even when you don't feel like it. And all grace is there for you. <clears throat> what were the things that came into Saul's life? Well, some of them were legitimate things to a king. We're going to read about them now, because I think I ought to read at least one passage. But when a king won a battle, he was entitled to certain things legitimate things that a king deserved to have and he thought he could have them but God had said you can't have those Um, let's read it a moment (coughs) it's in 1 Samuel 15 Um, I'll give you a bit of background I won't read the whole chapter because of time but God had told Saul to go and destroy a group of people called the Amalekites They were wicked people. And in a very rare case, God had told them to destroy not only the men, but the women and the children too. Now, you might have a real problem with that. How could God command the death of children? I asked the Lord, said, why, you know, surely you're a good God. Why would you want to kill children too? And I believe the reason is this. If the children had grown up, they would have become murderers just like their parents. So by killing them, I know it's very rare, God never does this hardly, only a few times in the Bible, by killing the children too, it saved them to go straight to heaven. It saved them from a life of murder and sin. It was almost a strange mercy. Because they would have grown up just like their mums and dads. And now the Amalekites were wicked. God waited 400 years before judging them. He didn't just go and kill people. You know, he waited 400 years to see if they would repent, and they didn't. So in the end, he sent King Saul, and he said, you've got to go and destroy everything. Man, woman, child, everything. And it's not to be taken for yourself. It's to be devoted to God as a judgment. But Saul didn't obey what God said, because his relationship with God had become laid back. So it says in verse 7 of chapter 15, Saul defeated the Amalekites, fighting all the way from Havilah to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured the king of the Amalekites, King Agag, but he kept him alive, but he killed all the other people. But Saul did not kill the best sheep and the cattle 
or the best calves and the lambs, or anything else that was good. He only destroyed what was useless or worthless. And he was supposed to kill the animals too, apparently. Don't know why, but... Verse 10. The Lord said to the prophet Samuel, I am sorry I made Saul king. He has turned away from me and disobeyed my commands. The prophet Samuel was angry, and all night long he pleaded with the Lord. And early in the morning he went off to find Saul. He heard that Saul had gone to Carmel, where he had built a monument to himself. (laughs) Now go down to verse 17. (coughs) This is when Samuel comes and rebukes him for not doing God's will properly. Samuel says to Saul, The Lord made you king of Israel, and he sent you with orders to destroy those wicked people of Amalek. He told you to fight until you'd killed them all. Why did you not obey him? Why did you rush to seize the loot and do what displeases the Lord? I did obey the Lord, Saul replied. I went out, as you told me. I brought back King Agag, and I killed all the rest of the Amalekites. But my men did not kill the best sheep and cattle. Instead, they brought them here to Gilgal to offer as a sacrifice to the Lord your God. Samuel said, Which does the Lord prefer, obedience or offerings and sacrifice? It is better to obey him than to sacrifice the best sheep to him. Rebellion against him is as bad as witchcraft, and arrogance is as sinful as idolatry. You have rejected the Lord's command, and he has rejected you as king. Go to verse 30. Hope you're still with me. Saul replied, I have sinned, but show me respect in front of the leaders of my people. Go back with me so I can worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with him, and Saul worshipped the Lord. Drop down to verse 35. As long as Samuel lived, he never again saw the king. He grieved over him. The Lord was sorry he had made Saul king of Israel. And in chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to go on grieving over Saul? I have rejected him as king of Israel. Now get some fresh olive oil. Go to Bethlehem to a man named Jesse, because I have chosen one of his sons to be the new king. Going back to my first point, because I wanted to give you the story there, Saul, rather than staying close to the Lord, started to think he was entitled to things, started to become a bit loose in his relationship with the Lord, and he thought, well, I'm entitled to make a monument to myself. That's one thing he did. I make a monument to myself, you know, give myself glory. Because that's what every king did back then. You won a battle, you made a statue to yourself. The next thing he did, he thought, I'm entitled to keep this king alive because it's a trophy. If I keep the enemy king alive, it's like a trophy. Hey, look at me, look what I've done. Um, But God had said, they've all got to be killed. He kept the animals alive. Why did he keep the animals alive? He kept the animals alive because that way they wouldn't have to sacrifice their own. Very convenient. No cost to me. I'm entitled, it's my spoils of war. And, and, you know, 
in those days, if you sacrificed animals, you also got a free dinner. Because by killing them, they managed to have lots of food to eat as well. So really, what's happening to Saul is he's gone from serving God to serving self. And it's very gradual. It happens over time. It doesn't happen straight away. He starts off serving God alone. He then starts serving God and himself. And then in the end, by the end of his life, he's serving himself with God as kind of using God. I'm just warning myself and you <laughs> to not become like Saul as you get older. To not depend less on the Lord, but keep seeking the Lord. However familiar you might think you are, don't separate away. Because the effects of it are terrible. Because he didn't walk with God anymore, he started to make stupid, rash decisions. You know, King Saul, he made stupid, rash decisions because he didn't walk with God anymore. One time he was in a battle and he, because he wasn't walking with the Lord, he said, oh, let's make everyone fast. All the soldiers have got to fast and go without food. Yeah, which is stupid because when you're fighting, you need your food. Anyway, let's move on. Right, S. So he stops thinking. A. What's the A stand for? I think it means appearance. Appearance. Saul wanted to keep up appearances. Have you ever seen a program? My wife likes it. It's called Keeping Up Appearances. With what's the name? Hyacinth Bouquet. Keeping Up Appearances. You know, Saul was all into appearances. As long as I appear that I'm walking with the Lord, that's the main thing. As long as I pretend that I'm okay. Because when he sinned, Samuel said, you've sinned, and he said, okay, I've sinned. And they said, but, 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 but come with me now in front of the elders, in front of the people, and come with me and let me worship. Because he cared what the people thought, not what God thought. You see, when Saul was caught out, he didn't say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, like David. All he did was, Oh, Samuel, I'm sorry. Now come with me and worship in front of the people. Let's keep up appearances. Image was more important to him than reality. Did he have a relationship with God? No, it was all image. And it's very, I, I, this is a challenge to me. It's possible to get into this mode where when you come to church, it's all kind of image. You raise your hands in worship, but you're thinking about your Sunday lunch. <laughs> you're not really. <laughs> I'm just a challenge that Saul got all into image. And all into approval before people. He was worried what his army thought of him. He was worried what Samuel thought. He wasn't worried what God thought. <clears throat> you know, it's quite a thing. U. S-A-U. U. What's the U stand for? It simply means to me, unwilling to repent. He's unrepentant. The thing that Saul grew into, and it was a gradual thing, he grew dishonest about his sin. He grew dishonest about it. You know, when he sinned, you know what he did? He made excuses. He blamed other people. He passed the buck. You know, and he never really took sin seriously. This is a challenge to me. It's very easy to think when you sin... I mean, God forgives you, but it's very easy to go, a bit like the adulteress in the Bible. She just wipes her mouth. I haven't done anything wrong. You know, there's that cavalier attitude to sin. 
Now, God is gracious. God forgives. If you're honest, you see, that's the key. Keep it honest. You see, David, he did terrible things. David, he murdered his friend. He, slept, he nicked his friend's wife. He slept with her. He numbered the people. He got thousands killed by numbering the people. David was a real, you know, mess. But God said, he's a man after my heart. Why? Because he was honest about his sin. And he said, Lord, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Wash me clean. And God did. Whereas Saul, he said, you know, it's the army's fault. It's uh, their fault. You, yeah, it's not this. It's not really me. Lord. He denied it. He denied it. You know, and people lie to themselves about their sin. Um, they camouflage it. I know I've done that in the past. You camouflage your sin. You say, well, you know, sort of camouflage it. Saul never accepted responsibility for his sin. And the last thing, L, which is similar to all the things I've said, really, is he left things undealt with. He left things undealt with. Here's one, envy. He envied King David, right? Right from the start, he envied David because he knew David was going to take over. But he never dealt with it. He let it grow and fester. One big tragedy of Saul is he internalized his issue. He never confronted his issue. He just left it. Bury it. I'll just bury that. He never went to a friend and prayed. He said, look, he never went to his advisor and said, can you pray for me? I'm jealous. (laughs) He just left it. He buried it. And we've got to be very careful that we don't leave things undealt with. God is very gracious, but I felt the Lord saying, you know, there are things in people's lives that they're just not dealing with. I mean, King Agag, right, this king, he let him live. He let him live. And God said, I want that man dead. Are we letting things live on in our lives that should have been killed long ago? You know, if we don't kill the thing God has said to kill, you might end up killing yourself. Because the sword that Saul used to kill Agag, was meant to kill Agag, he ended up sticking it in himself. I know it's not a very nice message I'm giving, but... S, he stopped seeking the Lord. A, he got all into appearances. U, he was unwilling to face up to his sin. And L, he left things undealt with. S-A-U-L. That's my simple message. Not a very nice one, but... I think it's important that we learn from Saul. You see, sin is not a problem for God. If you're honest and you seek to be honest, it's not a problem. If you face up to issues, if you confront them and don't deny them, it's not a problem for God. God can transform you. It's only a problem if you won't be honest and you won't be humble. Saul was arrogant. But the scary thing is, it was gradual. It was gradual. It wasn't when he was young. When he was young, he was fantastic. Saul, he was confident in the Lord. He humble. He wasn't afraid of people back then. He told them to shut up if they told him to do things. But as he got older, he just let it all go. So let's not be like Saul. Let's not be dishonest about ourselves. Because in the end, you can be your own worst enemy. Now, I want to look very quickly at Samuel, and then we're going to stop. You'll be glad to know. Because Samuel was a man of God, but he also allowed something to come between him and God. Like a little wedge. It wasn't sin, but it was something that Samuel the prophet, the man of God, allowed to come between him and God. And do you know what it was? 
It was grief. Because God said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? How long are you going to grieve over this guy I've rejected? Because he was grieving, 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 maybe for years, grieving, grieving. And it had become a barrier between him and God. And God said, how long are you going to mourn and grieve over that that's happened? And I believe the Lord is saying this morning, there are some people, and I know this is applied to me, something goes wrong in your life, something didn't turn out as you'd hoped, someone let you down, or you failed and committed a sin, and you mourn and grieve over it, and you can't seem to let it go. I used to live with a landlady, um, sorry, she was a lot older than me, and a couple of other young people, uh, Italian lady, and she had mentored a young man called David. And she'd brought him up on the Bible, she'd prayed for him, she'd prayed for him, and then one day he turned his back on everything and he went and married someone in the Mafia. He got involved with the Mafia. And God spoke to her one night and said, how long are you going to mourn for David? And the problem I'm trying to say is sometimes we can get so, looking back over something that didn't turn out as we wanted, and we mourn and grieve over it, and it, it becomes so big that we can't really go on with God. And what God said to Samuel is, how long are you going to weep over this guy? He said, now get some fresh oil, arise and go and anoint David. In other words, God says to us this morning, I've got new things for you. I've got fresh things for you. I've got fresh Holy Spirit for you. I've got something new for you. Stop living in the past. Stop moaning about what didn't go right. Get up into the new with Jesus. Okay? So... I'm going to stop. Let's um, consider these things. Let's, I'd like to uh, uh, close with a song. If, you can, if anyone here can play. 